All right, welcome back to Service Sharp. This is Jason Gibson, and I'm here with Jason Jason Lachey and uh, Randy Haas, and we are here talking about uh, ServiceNow. Um, Jason, tell us a little bit about yourself. I'm Jason Lachey, and uh, I work in the Sharpstone group specifically around leadership development, also process improvement, and uh, some of the, the finer points of, of what makes some of the IT solutions and also other solutions, product development, things like that actually work from a personal perspective. Uh, basically, performance-driven changes that can be made in the organization. And uh, those are some of the things that a lot of times get left out. But it's kind of funny because that's what people complain about most is uh, actually how people are performing, uh, personal issues and things like that. If you can get that right, you can always leverage your investment in your technology or whatever you're doing a whole lot better. So really enjoy working with the leadership side and uh, the process side because that really keeps everything moving. Awesome. Awesome. And we all know Randy, but Randy, uh, you'll do a quick, quick hello. Yeah, this is Randy Haas and uh, I've started Sharpstone Group uh, to kind of marry the two things together, the leadership side of, uh, of things and uh, the service now, the technical side of things. Um, you know, because we experienced as a group, we've all worked together and we experienced as a group that um, there was a disconnect a lot of times in in the leadership vision and then the vision of the people actually doing the implementation. And that was causing, you know, us to see failures um, for people to realize their, their investment. And so we really wanted to kind of marry the two together. Um, Jason and I work on the leadership side. We do a podcast uh, also on leadership itself called Panning Leadership. Uh, it's kind of a companion to this. Awesome, awesome. So we're here to talk about uh, ServiceNow in, in, in the guise of empowerment and enforcement. Um, and, and the empowerment part is, is kind of what, is, what it means to, to the, the different levels of leadership, whether it's an executive or a manager or a team leader architect. Uh, and enforcement side is, um, you know, with the leadership side, this is part of it. Uh, and that's the enforcement mechanism. Who does, who, who is enfor enforces the policies of the organization? And uh, why do we enforce policies uh, around the ServiceNow platform? So uh, I think it's extremely important to understand as we move forward that you know the the leadership is is the most important you know factor in the success of any ServiceNow um, organization any organization that has ServiceNow whether they're just starting to implement it or they've been doing it a long time I've seen organizations succeed and fail um, based on that leadership and so we're kind of here to talk about Randy's and Jason's experience with some of that. Randy what do you think about the executive leaders and and what they should be looking at in order to do a good job leading uh, in the ServiceNow environment? I think number one you know we talked about it for the last podcast was vision the number one thing is to know why are you doing it why are you implementing ServiceNow um, and to make sure that you've decided that you're going to invest, uh, you know, the time, the effort, the resources needed to get to the 
to the vision that you have for it. Uh, you know, ServiceNow, the whole name service is designed around being able to give better service internally and externally for your company. And whether that's using IT service management or whether it's using good change management so you don't bring down your company, whether it's using CMDB so you do a, a good job of controlling um, your cost, your assets and things like that, whether it's project management, whatever it is within ServiceNow, the the, the goal is good customer service. It's not, well, not good customer service, but excellent customer service. And, um, you know, I think that that, um, that um, is kind of the, the main thing is to have that in mind. And then what are you going to do about it, you know, as an executive? Um, I think that um, once you've got that vision, then the idea is you push it down and then you've got to enable your people to to do the job that they were hired to do and so that can come in the factor of do we spend money in training do we spend money to bring in assistance uh, when needed you know do we have um you know do we have a good strategy set aside do it and then also am i going to listen to what the people that i've brought in to to implement the project tell me is the best practice and and that's really important, isn't it? The the trust aspect of things. I think so. Um, Jason, Leger, you can jump in anytime on this stuff. But um, you know, I think one of the things that really that you need to define is um, what success actually looks like. We talk a lot about that. That we've seen companies that have been successful and have been failures when it comes to implementing ServiceNow. Uh, you know, but the question, what does success actually look like? You know, because we've seen companies bring in ServiceNow and get good results, um, but they could get better results with, with what they've got. You know, so sometimes you see people that bring in a software product and they get really just horrible results and they blame the software. Um, sometimes you see them getting marginal results and sometimes you see them get great results. And I think you need to define what does success look like and and not be satisfied with um, we just kind of got marginal results, but be obsessed with I want to get the maximum value out of this investment as possible. And if you if you get that in your head, if you want to get the maximum value out of the success as possible, then you're going to want to know your product and you're going to want to know your team and you're going to want to know what the capabilities are. And then you're going to want to be smart enough to let other people help guide you um, in the best direction to go. Um, I don't know where. Yeah, and that's kind of what I was thinking too is, is all of those outcomes that Randy's talking about, but also there's got to be a strategy that's driving those. And part of that strategy is there has to be somewhat of uh, a focus. And if you want to think about what does leadership bring to the table, you know, everybody, everybody understands, you know, Hey, there's an app or there's a, there's some software, there's a process that we need in our business. Everybody at every level knows that. So what does leadership bring that's any different? Well, what they can do is bring a focus to it because a lot of times when something's new or you're trying to push forwards, uh, make something better, you do have to bring that focus. And so there is a, a trust factor there. Um, there's a buy-in factor, but also you really do have to put it to the forefront at least for a little bit. There has to be a prioritization that says, we're going to do this for the next however long, and we're going to put a focus on this. If there's an issue, you got to report it. If if there's anything at all, um, we have to bring it to the table. We have to schedule some type of rhythm or cadence around this. If you 
you try to put something in the organization and treat it just like everything else, uh, you're never going to get that traction. And so if you ask yourself, what can leadership bring to the table? Ironically, it's leadership. <laughs> it's, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's, right. yeah. It's yeah. quit acting like everybody else. Everybody else knows, yeah, it's something new. Yeah, we've got 100 programs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, don't act like that. Or people are going to treat it that way. You need to say, hey, this is revolutionary to our organization if you do it correctly. And uh, and we're going to give it a focus, and we're going to kick this thing off. And they've, they've got to take that one, and they've got to lead by example, and they've got to give it the room uh, to grow and to take root in the organization. And that only comes through being very intentional with how they message it, but also literally just that focus, that very, very specific focus, at least for some period of time. Everybody knows this is what we're doing, and we expect to succeed, you know, within this time frame. Yeah, I, I absolutely. I think you're 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 spot on there. You know, I, I also see that it seems to me that that we need to understand, and leaders need to understand that they don't know everything. They can't know everything. No human being can know everything. So they have to rely on the people that work for them to have the knowledge they don't. And I think a lot of leaders fail to thinking that they need to know everything. And that's just not really true, right? Yeah, yeah. It's, it's not a leadership knowing everything. It's them having a strategy of how to put one foot in front of the other in a direction that's going to get us somewhere. You know, that's what, that's what they're supposed to know. Right, right. I think that, you know, I want to go back to what Jason Leger was saying a second ago, that idea of championing the product, I think that is critically important, like he said, because when you bring something like ServiceNow in, you're making changes, and people don't like to make change. You know, there's inertia going on in the organization, and there's always inertia going on. Anytime you introduce a change, there's resistance, and if you're going to get past that and get, get good success, good results out of the product, then you need to have that uh, change. And then what you guys are talking about um, as well the idea of instead of trying to, you know, leaders uh, kind of have a tendency to want to work on our weaknesses and to get make our weaknesses better, but we really kind of need to flip that where learn your strengths, maximize your strengths, and then bring other people in that can fill in the gaps for your weaknesses. And that's where the trust and the enablement comes from, you know, build a good team and, and make sure that the team complements each other and then, you know, um, run with it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, and, and that brings us to, you know, management that, you know, not the executive leadership, but, but the leadership that's middle, uh, middle management leadership. That's kind of a hard position to be in because you're, you're not driving the full vision, uh, but you are, you're, you are responsible for empowering people to get the work done. How do you think that's best done? Yeah, I think <laughs> Jason and I have both Great been question, right? <laughs> in, the, in this spot a couple of times. And, uh, you know, being in the middle of management um, is the hardest spot to be in because you've got the upper management that, you know, basically pulls – pulls all the strings and, and has the power to shift on a dime if they want to. Uh, and then you've got the employees and you're stuck in between and you've got to, you've got to translate the vision back and forth to each other. So um, it's not an easy role. It's a tough role to take on. Um, and I think that there's just, you know, 
uh, if I can say just one word that I would describe it is balance. You got a balance between um, what the executives want, what the board wants, um, and the vision that they're casting, and what your team is experiencing, and how you can, you know, there's a balance between uh, advocating for your team and advocating for the board. Right. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and, and you know, it's that, that middle piece is, is what, you know, what is the upper management measuring, you know, at the end of the day? You know, they're saying, hey, what are we getting out of this investment? You know, mm -hmm. a lot of times they're not looking at the, the finer pieces. And so that middle that middle manager needs to, you know, have a way of, of articulating that and accomplishing that. But he's doing that through other people. And those people need to know what they're being measured on and also what their benefits are. And so continuing to put out there in front of them as that middle manager, here's the benefits, but also understand the organization is headed in this direction or we're looking for this type of, of, of you know, corporate benefit or whatever it is and let everybody in on really what the full game plan is. But at the same yeah. time, you know, the people who are doing the work uh, have to know what's in it for them. And sometimes what's in it for them is a long-term strategy. I've implemented some, some digitization strategies um, outside of service now in some very, very manual areas. And frankly, you know, the people couldn't see how it was going to benefit them. It was, it was benefiting more up the chain, maybe visibility or big data analytics or, you know, some other type of, of thing that moved the company forward. And um, once they finally realized this is the direction the company needs to move to be successful and these are the benefits and that they are a very critical piece to that, either from a an information gathering perspective, data entry, whatever it was, um, then they were ready to move from paper to digital or from some other, you know, terrible process to something that's more automated. But you have to take that time. You can't just manipulate people into doing something and come back to what Randy was saying. Uh, they have to know why and not just why, but also like truly how they fit in so they can get, you know, some sort of reward out of it, uh, at least mentally or feeling like that they've accomplished it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the, one of the, 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 the people that I follow pretty regularly on leadership, he talks about, he'll give their, the, they'll give their, their time for a what, but they'll give their life to a why. You know, giving people a why, uh, a purpose in, in what they're doing, I think is, is underutilized. And that is important to, to be able to do as a, as a middle manager is to give people those whys. But equally as important, I think, is something that Randy taught me, and that is giving them the authority to do things um, and to make decisions that um, that are difficult but are critical for the organization. It, it allows for the organization to move faster. Um, do you think that do, do you think that um, moving in that direction, moving that, pushing that authority down into the lower levels, is um, is extremely important for that level of management? Well, I think so. I mean, there's things that people need to own, not just from a psychological perspective for buy-in, but really, uh, you know, who are you hiring? Do you do you have faith in these people? Uh, people will work if if they feel like there's an expectation. A lot of people try to have no expectation because they think that that's going to make their employees happy, that they won't feel stressed out. 
but really employees like expectation. They like structure. They like to know that if I do ABC, I will get to D. You know, they, they can see the path. They can see the progress. They can, you know, they don't feel lost. They don't feel, you know, there, there's an energy there whenever there's an expectation. And so that's one big thing that needs to get reversed. Um, this even goes all the way down to some theories behind parenthood, and that is, you know, believe it or not, children actually like structure. You know, I was, I was actually thinking the same thing just then. I'm like, yeah, I think that, that kids are, you know, I hate to bring it down to that level, but kids do, they do thrive better in structured environments. They do, you know, and that's that's something that we've, we've lied to ourselves about. That's, we said if we make everything easy, people will be motivated, and that's just not true. Well, and we've we've lied to ourselves that conflict is horrible um, as well, and uh, you know conflict is um, uh, it, it's context sensitive. So it's horrible if you're doing conflict just because you want to be a jerk um, to right. the people around you. But conflict is the catalyst for growth when you use it as um, as a tool to bring the team together and to to move things forward. And so people people um, have this issue of, uh, I want to avoid conflict, so I don't want to set any expectations. And uh, and you just set yourself up for failure when you do that. Uh, one of my, you set yourself one up for mediocrity. <laughs> right. Well, and one of my biggest successes, or all of my big successes that I've done before, has been because uh, I have um, I, I've gotten better and refined because of those the, those conflicts. I'll give you a great example is is Brent's not on the call with us, but um, Brent Peters is a mentor of mine as well. And I'm telling you, uh, we fought like cats and dogs when it came to it. He was uh, he was big on uh, only the stability of side, and I was big on the user interface side, and and so we would argue about stuff. But the the product that we produced at the end of it, after we came to an agreement on everything, was just phenomenal compared to what either of us would would have done by ourselves, especially if there wasn't that conflict. If we didn't think differently than each other. It doesn't mean we ever had to yell at each other, but when you think differently, there's that 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 part of that is is a little bit of conflict. And part so much of of the management, especially at the closer to the ground level, um, you really benefit from understanding a little bit of psychology, from understanding a little bit of personality, uh, and from you know knowing. Uh, being able to understand that people's motivations are different um, and what motivates you as a manager is likely not the same thing that motivates um, everybody around you. And so you need to kind of figure out what those motivations are so that you can make sure that A, you're motivating people and B, that you're guiding the conflict in a healthy, in a, in a healthy direction to move things forward because that's, I mean, there's no reason, my opinion is this, and it's just my opinion, but um, there's no reason to have a team if you're not planning to take um, advantage of the diversity that bringing in other people brings. Right, right. Yeah, and you're not going to take advantage of anything if you have a culture where people can't share their ideas because they feel like it's either not going to be utilized or it's worthless. Yeah. Uh, and it's, it's, you know, frankly arrogant for any leader to think that, you know, their ideas alone will produce the best product when, you know, there's lots of people that will say stuff. Um, and you have to facilitate that type of, 
of, right. uh, of, of talk. And I'm, I'm really grateful that when I was younger and even through college, I had kind of a design background and we did critiques on things. And you really did learn to get some thick skin and realize people are just simply telling you the impression of what they see. And it's, right. and guess what? It's not what you see, yes. but it's, it's valid because frankly, if you're producing something, it's a product, whatever it is, you can think it's great all day long, but if nobody likes it, you know, it doesn't have a market value. So you, at some point, you really do have to look outside yourself and say, what do you guys think about this? Or are there other ideas or what have you seen? You know, people listen to different things. They, they watch different things. They use different products and, and they can have gotten some, some great ideas off of, of, of things that they have seen or, or heard that you've never seen or heard. And you've got to facilitate that environment where things can be reviewed and talked about and brainstormed. And, and there's some frameworks out there, you know, that deal with that. And, and Randy alluded to, you know, some of the personality and psychology things like the DISC assessment, which helps you learn, you know, how people's reward systems work and what motivates them. So if you're really truly interested in, in a great product or a great process or a great work environment, you really do have to take those things into consideration. Well, that's one of the first things I ever did with Randy is, is when I started working for him lots of years ago, I, I started talking to Randy and, and we did this uh, group, you know, uh, team building exercise where everybody took a personality test. And by the way, I'm a protagonist, if anybody knows what that means. Yeah, that's true. Uh, and it, it is very evident, yeah. So, but yeah, so that so that is that is that is my personality type, and so we we learned a lot about each other in that. So I would encourage anybody, if you're a leader of human beings that are psychologically different, each one of them, we're all different, we're all wired different, we all see things in a different light. To be able to understand those things about each other is extremely valuable, and you cannot understate that value. Yeah. Well, we have uh, we got to take a little break. I'm I'm sorry to interrupt everybody here. Uh, we're getting a great conversation going, but uh, we're going to take a quick commercial break, <laughs> and we'll be back in just a minute. All right, we're back with uh, <clears throat> Randy and Jason Lachey and myself, Jason Gibson. Uh, right now, we're, we were talking about empowerment, and now we are going on to enforcement a little bit. Um, and so let's talk about enforcement and, and the organizational policies when it comes to service now. Uh, is there any insight, Randy, in, into, you know, into what you did there uh, as far as the you know, change management and the other policies are concerned? Well, I think going back to... Um to what Jason uh, uh, said earlier about knowing what the metrics are that your leadership is looking for, knowing what the metrics are that you need, um, and then you know pushing that down is something that plays a big role in this discussion. Um, and kind of to tie the two together, um, the conversation we were having about psychology earlier, um, we got to figure out a way to make metrics um, not be so scary. <laughs> For people, you know, yeah. um, metrics aren't shouldn't be around for punitive measures. They should be around for productivity, for for um, uh, success. They should be success measures, not punitive measures. Uh, if you're doing it right, and and uh, I, so 
we've got to get comfortable with that. And, um, and everybody's got a responsibility. You know, we talk a lot about management and everything like that, but the people that aren't management, they have a responsibility too. And that is to a, um, you know, trust, you've got to develop trust in your management and your leadership and B you've got to participate in, uh, these metrics, these things that are boring and that aren't sexy, that aren't uh, the things that we want to do. You know, we get into IT to, to be a developer and to build products. We don't want to do the metrics. We don't want to do the reports and things like that. Uh, but you got to understand that um, th that's the way that information about how well we're doing gets translated up the chain. Uh, and if we don't do that, if we don't participate in that, and we don't give our best to to that part of it, even if it isn't appealing and it is boring, then um, our story doesn't get told the way it should be. Well, if we can't measure it, we, we can't make it any better, right? That's correct. We can't do yeah. anything to, to move the organization forward if we can't measure it. You know, and, I, and one of the things that we haven't really touched on, but it's extremely important as well, is the team leads... Uh, in the architect position, you know, those are those are not really management, but they're more supervisory roles. But you know, they provide a, a, a big and an important role to the manager. You know, they're the ones who who can say who need to be feel comfortable saying, no, that won't work. We need to go a different direction. Have you thought about this? Have you thought about that? They're the ones who have the technical knowledge that they need to have those conversations with their leadership and they also need to be an advocate and what i mean by that is an advocate for ServiceNow. now you, you're a service now architect you should believe in the product you should believe in what you're doing your leadership wants it obviously you you're you're spending a lot of money on it um now it's time to to show you know exactly what you can do uh, moving forward and make sure that when they come to you with these great ideas, you know, you don't say no to everything. I think we get into um, a, a pattern of saying no to everything. Um, and we need to really look at it and say, if there's a business need, we'll find a way to do it. Because in service now, there is a way to do anything. It doesn't mean it always should be done. Um, and that's that's up to the architect or the, the team lead to kind of, you know, push that forward to the manager. Yeah, I agree. Um, sure. So the on the enforcement side of things, I think that there's, uh, I, in, in, I'm sure Jason might have some better uh, insight into this, but there's two things uh, that I see. The number one thing is, um, enforce a as a champion of the project if you're senior management enforce this is the road we're going down so don't let people derail you and say uh well we've always done it this way so i don't want to do change management like this or i don't want to do this you know uh you got to step in and say look here is the direction we're going i want to listen to all of your input i want to hear all of your input but here's the time box that you've got to give me that input and at the end of the day when we get to the the end of that time we're going to make a decision and we're going down that path and you're going and you know this is the sticky part of management is sometimes you got to say uh you're not going to please everybody and so sometimes you say look we're going this direction and i've heard your You've heard your responses. I've heard your objections. Um, 
and here's why we're moving forward. And uh, if you do a good job of listening to people, you do a good job of projecting your vision, you can develop the trust um, that it takes in order to move people in a direction they don't want to go. Uh, when you know from your perspective uh, and where you're at that that's the right direction to take things. And then um, B, once the setup is in place and you say, okay, we're going to this, say we're doing change management uh, and we're going this way, then don't let people short shortchange the process. You know, if the process is broke, fix it. Don't, sh don't short around it. Don't let people do in runs around the process. If it's broke, that's an opportunity. Take the opportunity to improve. Don't short circuit it. Yeah. Um, and I would add to that, you know, anything that's being implemented or even a long-term uh, process or program or whatever you're doing, uh, one of the places that, that I worked in, you know, they called it if having a rhythm, which really just meant a regular meeting. But I like the word rhythm because that's, that's what happens when you stop talking about stuff. When you stop having an expectation, you lose the rhythm. You lose that, that, uh, that element that keeps things moving, that forward momentum. And so, you know, we would, we would have something that was working well. We'd have something that wasn't working well or, or wasn't progressing like we wanted it to or, the, or even um, the way it was being messaged in the organization was falling apart and people weren't supporting it anymore. And I'm here to tell you every time it was because the rhythm had been lost. The, the, the regular uh, reviewing or, or product demo or whatever it was had fallen to the side. And sure enough, you know, people have short memories and uh, all of a sudden what was so important in January was no longer important in February and not for any logical reason other than it was talked about less and it was reviewed less and the expectations were looked at less. And so when you come to enforcement, it's really about keeping it at the, the forefront and having that rhythm that brings it to the right people's attention on a regular basis because that becomes habit and it becomes normal. A lot of people don't like change, but it's amazing. Any change can become normal. That's right. Uh, if, you would, if you'll be consistent about it. And some of the things that that uh, become true is is you can you can start with a big flash bang this is fantastic and great and the the consistent will actually beat that every time if you can have something that's just a, a a quick meeting or even a quick look is way better than having a ton of big meetings at the first but having nothing later you'll you'll get more done from a consistent perspective than you ever will from let's just get real excited and then when the excitement dies down you know then I guess the whole project goes away. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Um, keep keep keeping it moving and making sure and measuring the right things. I mean, you can't enforce something if you don't know how well you're doing. You can't you you can't say, well, you know, uh, I'll give you a perfect example. I've worked for uh, you know I, I, a lot of different clients that did things differently. I had one client when I started uh, talking with them, they're doing. 60% of their changes are emergency changes. Um, that's not good, right? But the culture was, no, 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 no. You only need to do emergency changes for this and this. But they didn't track it, and they didn't enforce it. So people just did it because it was easy. Because with an emergency change, 
they had it to where there wasn't anybody doing approval on it. So if they did that, then they could do it. They could do it when they wanted, how they wanted, and nobody was checking up on it. Yeah. So measuring is really important, I think, when it comes to uh, the enforcement side of it. Well, it's a dual-edged uh, sword because, um, A, you're measuring the performance of your people, but B, you're measuring the performance of your policies. So if you have a policy that people are consistently doing an in-run around, uh, well, that's an indicator that maybe we want to look at this policy and refine it. Maybe it's too cumbersome. Maybe it's uh, maybe it is something that's a drag on it, or maybe it's just something that people need to be educated on. This is why this has to be done. You know, um, there's a lot of specialized knowledge in companies today, and so legal may have a reason that something has to be done a certain way, but not everybody in the company knows that. And so you jump around these policies because they're cumbersome and they slow you down without realizing that now you're exposing the organization to risk. And so that's another reason to enforce policies and not uh, not ignore them when people are jumping around them or, or going around them. And here's the, <laughs> the observation that I've seen is the biggest offenders of people jumping around policies are the leaders. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, you know, yeah. If you've got a policy oh. that you don't do any work unless you put a ticket in, then put a ticket in. Right. <laughs> well, and I, I'll, I'll never forget. I we had a we had a policy, a development policy that everything had to move, be moved, created, and dev, moved to test and tested, and to make sure that it's going to work well, and then moved over to production. And that was the policy that was written by the vice president of the organization. And the vice president of the organization walked up to me and said, hey, I need you to change this, make this change in production. And I go, no. <laughs> he goes, what? And I'm like, your policy doesn't let me do that. <laughs> he goes, no, but I need you to do it. And I'm like, no. And so it was, it was one of those super awkward moments in my life. Um, and he went to my manager, who at the time backed me up on that, and said, no, you, you need to do it. And, and we had it done within a couple of hours because we, it was a fairly simple thing. Uh, but we still did it exactly the way that the policy, you know, drove, drove it. Come to find out if we would have changed that, we would have, we would have messed up a significant amount of incidents um, and the change, the, the way that some of the uh, client scripts were working at the time, it would have messed a, a lot of things up. So it was good that we didn't do it at that moment. But it was. It was a leader that says, hey, I need you to, to, to do what I need you to do and not follow the policy I've provided. Yeah, and that, that reminds me of, you know, it's funny how many organizations and even people who are, you know, pretty mature in their organization still think that if you add something, if it doesn't make things easier, then it's the wrong thing. And easy is not the measure of all things. You know, right. sometimes, <laughs> sometimes you're adding something because there's a benefit that is far beyond easy. Yeah. You know, easy doesn't necessarily make more money. Easy doesn't make things yeah. more secure. And so I think that's, that's one of the things that leadership has to talk about immediately on the enforcement side is, is just go ahead and get it out of people's mind to, to not look at, you know, is this easier? And then, you know, in some ways it might be easier depending on your point of view. It may be easier later. You know, for instance, maybe it's easier to back out 
you know, a change or some, some issue because you did it right the first time or, you know, so easier is very relative and or completely invalid depending on what you're trying to do because you're, the benefit may stem far beyond and be worse it not being easier. Yeah. I, I always think of when, when I think of what you're talking about, I think of, uh, going to vacation in Big Bear Mountain, uh, California, and coming down the mountain is uh, a really slow, arduous process. So the easy way would be just to drive off the side. Uh, <laughs> that'll get you down the mountain pretty fast, but that's not the most advantageous way to do it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I agree. I agree. That, that's, that is a, definitely a bad idea. Yeah, uh, you know, and, and we see this a lot with incident as well. Um, incidents are getting put in, tasks aren't getting put in, you know, being uh, created. Things aren't being put in the system. It's been done, being done by email or whatnot. And then that leader, that leader who didn't put in that incident and didn't put in that request uh, comes and wants a report of all the incidents and requests and says, well, this, is, this seems light to me, <laughs> you know, and you're like, yes, yes, it is. Um, and, and it's because people are sending emails and not wanting to put in tickets. So it, it is important to understand why we're putting in tickets. And it is important to see as an employee, to see the leader doing it. Because if the leader does it, they feel more comfortable doing it. If the leader doesn't do it, what they see is somebody who is, who is above them, who thinks they're better than them. And I know that it's maybe not what the intent is, but it is what they're seeing. Yeah, yeah you got to play in your own sandbox. You know, if you if you make the sandbox, then you need to play in it. So if you don't want there to be rocks in it, don't put rocks in it. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So um, as as far as you know, a lot of that is about why we're why we why we want to do it. So who do we enforce it on? Who, who do we? Everybody. <laughs> yeah, everybody. Yeah. So, so that that goes back to the the leadership, and and when you're talking about the executive side, how how would you portray that to your managers that nobody's exempt? Well, I mean, it's about building a culture um, that um, is tolerant of everybody having the option to stand up and saying no. Um, this isn't this isn't right you know everybody ought to be able to pull the emergency brake if uh, if the train's going off the rails you know what I mean um, and, and you got to develop that culture um, and there's you know a lot of times you don't do that managers have a, have a tendency to want to hold on to everything as tight as possible because it's scary to let go and let other people have control uh, over the way things go but you've got to be able to see um, everywhere if you're a manager and you don't let anybody else have that, have that control. It's just not possible to do. So I think it's building a culture where a failure is tolerated. Um, B where failure is encouraged. Um, if it's productive failure, and what I mean by that is if, if you're demonstrating that you're learning from failing, then keep failing you know, if you're, if you're not learning from it, then you just need to fold up shop and go home. Um, yeah. and, um, be then or see whatever that every person is empowered to do the right thing. And if that right thing means to say no to the CEO, then 
that's the right thing. And, and so the culture you've, as a leader, as a senior leader, you've got to be a culture builder. Um, and you've got to be intentional about what kind of culture you're wanting to build. Yeah, absolutely. I have a, uh, I have an example of that a little bit on standing up to the CEO. And this is kind of funny because I didn't know who I was standing up to at the time because they were new. <laughs> and so we were in a, we we're in a meeting with about 20 people and the CIO was there and I did know him and uh, several, you know, national and uh, regional sales managers and lots of big dogs, uh, CFOs were there. And there was this one guy there and man, he was really loud and opinionated and he said something I totally disagreed with. And I fought him tooth and nail in front of literally everyone who could fire me. And um, <laughs> they all looked at me like I was crazy. And later I figured out why. And it's because, I mean, this guy, he didn't take no for an answer kind of guy you know i mean he yeah, he knew yeah. what he knew he came from where he came from he thought everything he did was the best way and here i was challenging him i mean in front of all his peers you know and you know everyone else but i'll tell you what me and this guy became fantastic friends um sometime later uh because he respected and knew that if i was talking to him about something that i was going to say it straight mm-hmm. and right. uh it's that that moment was actually somewhat legendary in our organization because I think everybody thought that that was probably going to be my last day. <laughs> it could have been. It could have been. But it wound been. up. I actually worked really close with this individual, and we had a really good relationship uh, personally as well. And we had dinner and and different things like that. You know, with uh, with the corporation would sit across from each other. We'd have lots to talk about. But it's hilarious how our beginnings began with us being very, very vocal on what we wanted, why we thought it was beneficial, why it was possible or not possible. And um, and I think there was a level of respect that we gained from that. And I think I got respect from other folks as well because it's, it's, that, it's those kinds of moments when you really get to tell what people are made of, not from a fighting perspective, but mm-hmm. where do their ideas come from? Right, right, right. You know, where are they coming from? Are they just doing this because it's the way they've always done it? Or are they, can you tell that they're coming from a user perspective, a customer perspective? You know, why are they fighting so hard? Why is it so important? And so, you know, that that environment and having those conversations is, is just extremely beneficial uh, if you can if you can do it and and, uh, and make it work. Yeah. Yeah. And it's a proven and it's a proven philosophy. Uh, one of the one of the um, again one of the leaders that I know really well that uh, you know they talk about. Uh, in the hospital environment, there is a speak up policy, and so if you, um, it, and it and it's basically it, it talks about uh, hand washing. So what is, what happened was the um, across the, the 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 country there were issues with you know physicians and stuff when you know it's difficult to wash your hands all the time, right? It's a pain in the rear; you don't really want to do it. So there were a lot of diseases and, you know, bacterias and a lot of infections and things like that in hospitals. And so this has been a long time ago, and they just, they decided to do this speak up policy. And it was where any nurse was empowered and encouraged if a doctor didn't wash their hands or sanitize their hands to speak up and tell them, hey, you didn't wash your hands. You need to wash your hands. And you think that's kind of a crazy thing. Well, that's not going to do anything. 
But what it did is it ended up saving a significant number of lives just because the sanitary part of it, people weren't getting as many infections. And so in, in that way, just speaking up about a little thing saved people's lives. And that's, and, and, and that alone it will, will tell you that, you know, we all handle lots of things. Uh, whether you're in IT or whether you're in the hospital or whether you're dealing with service now, you know, telling them, hey, no, if I do this, it's going to take down the system. <laughs> you know, speak up. If I do this code like you're wanting it, if I do this the way you want, this is heavily customizing the system. And if you do that, when next time we do upgrade, it's going to be twice as long to do the upgrade. You know, speaking up is a really good philosophy to, to instill in all of your people. Yep. Yeah, I totally agree. I, I think that's why I like this whole new shift into product management instead of project management. The project right. management is get or done within budget on time. Product management is, it's good, people like it, it's successful, it's making money, and I own it. You know, it's a completely different mentality. If you're right. a product owner, it's your baby. It is who you are. It's a reflection of, of the acumen you have in all these areas. Whereas project management was, you know, moving things across the board from left to right. And I think that's the way people have to look at service now um, in their organization is, or anything else they put in, is you have to have some level of ownership where the success of it says something about you. And a lot of that comes down to how are you getting people to adopt it? How are you getting them to speak up, like what we're talking about now? Because all those things feed into the quality at the end of the day of what you're going to produce. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, that's, again, that's a leadership, that's a leadership thing. And that's either a skill the leadership has or they don't. And we should be watching out for what, which leaders have that. Right. And, and it's and something that can be taught that, that are not leaders, find those people and, and promote those people, right? You know, bring those people up, bring the people that are willing to speak up and, and, and speak their mind and do it in a respectful way uh, and willing to disagree with you and, you know, encourage those people and, and bring them up into, you know, uh, leadership positions because that's really what you want in, in every aspect of, of your organization. Good stuff. Yeah, right. So it has been, uh, I, you know, it, unfortunately, we're we're getting right there on time. Uh, this has been wonderful. Uh, again, Jason Lachey and Randy, remember they are also executive coaches. They are leadership uh, gurus, and um, and so contact them if you need anything. If you have any questions, don't. Hesitate to give us, uh, shoot us an email at, at uh, Sharpstone Group, correct, Randy? Yeah, for this podcast, service sharp at uh, sharpstonegroup.com is the email address. Uh, and then uh, we'll have our LinkedIn contact information in the show, uh, show notes, our Instagram, and our Facebook, and everything like that. Yeah. So get a hold of us, contact us, tell us, uh, tell us if we're doing good or if you want to hear something different or you have. Uh, different topics you want to hear we'd love to hear from you um, but we really do appreciate you you listening to this uh, to this podcast 
And uh, until next time. Tell all your friends about it. Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, thank you very much, Randy, for joining us. Uh, Jason as well. Um, you. you guys are you're wonderful. I appreciate you being here. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Until next time, guys. <laughs>